This is the Heart to Heart Foundation podcast. It will be covering a walk from the geographic centre of Australia to the centre of the nation's capital in Canberra to raise awareness of the mental health issues faced by our first responders. We ask a lot of the people in our police, emergency services and all frontline workers. That takes a big toll on them and their families, which is why this walk is happening. These are just everyday people that have to do extraordinary things. These people are just like my dad. Welcome to the Heart to Heart Walk podcast. Today's episode is a duo. Yeah, it's a duo episode. So today we have the founders of Emergency, Pia and Alana. G'day. Hello. We are actually really a duo. We're morphing into one person, I think, (laughs) the amount of time we spend together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you're very often. Well, I don't remember you ever being referred to as not together. No, yeah, 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 we're the girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So welcome. Um, yeah, today's episode will be, uh, I would love to hear the story of the emergency um, entity as it is and then how that came to be, but individually. So what actually brought you both together and to the work that you're doing now today. So if we want to start right back at the beginning, Alana, tell mm. us about your story. So I think a lot of the listeners will probably know a little bit about your background, but um, yeah, tell us what brought you here. Yeah, so Pia and I actually met at uni. We were the first ever year to do a Bachelor of Policing on campus. Ah. Yes. We were the graduates. No one liked us, actually. Yeah, right. Um, So we did a three-year degree in policing before we um, went to the academy. Um, And so we'd spent three years together at uni. We went through the academy. We lived together. Um, while we were at the academy in Goulburn and then we went off to our careers separately. Um, We were both posted in different places and so we spent the 18 years of service never working together. Yeah, okay. Um, Our paths never crossed but our friendship um, was there the entire time. We maintained a friendship. Um, And I suppose that's where we got to this point in 2016 um, where Pia and I had caught up for a coffee as we'd sort of do every once in a while. Definitely didn't see each other then as much as we do now. (laughs) Um, And I had started to notice um, that my moods and behaviours and emotions, um, things at work weren't quite right and... At our coffee, I tried to talk to Pia um, about what was going on. I don't know what's wrong with me, these thoughts. And Pia was a really great friend and tried to be as supportive as possible. But I could tell that she didn't get it. I could see that vagueness in her eyes, like none of this makes sense to me. I don't know what you're talking about. And so I sort of still was going through this change um, on my own. Um, So I was diagnosed with PTSD and I didn't have anyone to turn to. Pia didn't get it. She was a great Mm. friend, but she just didn't understand. It didn't make sense to her. And, you know, I think we all know what it's like when people go off um, with some kind of stress leave or sick Mm. leave. It's like they fall off the face of the earth. So when it happens to you... You've got nowhere to turn. Yeah, it's a lonely time, isn't it? Yeah. yeah really Very is. Very lonely. It's isolating yeah. and confusing. Um, and you think back to your younger days too in the job and you're like 
people literally falling off the perch, so to speak, as 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 it's said, all the time, aren't they? Like mm. you, you see people come and go and disappear, and you don't really give it a lot of thought. I don't think when you no. you know you're fixated on your work at hand and you you're giving it giving it your all, and then you see these sometimes older people, sometimes younger people just disappear, and you hear the story. Oh yeah, they're off. Yeah, but you don't really. I don't think many people stop and think why or what happened or whatever or no. I particularly don't get it, that's for sure. Like as you said, they, they do not understand what's just happened. No. At all. I, I totally agree because that's what happened with Alana. I had no – I didn't understand. Yeah. And I was loving the truck. I was working at Surrey Hills. It just did not make sense to me what she was trying to talk to me about. Yeah, right. Until, of course, two years later yeah. um, where um, – I I was diagnosed, but before the diagnosis, I was really ill. It manifested physically with me. Yep. So I thought that there was some other medical condition that I had. And it wasn't until I was explaining to the GP, these are my symptoms. This is what I'm feeling. Yep. And she said, you have PTSD. And I'm like, holy crap, what, what is that? Yeah. And I went home and I Googled it. And then I called Alana and I said, I am so sorry. Yeah, right. I'm so sorry. I totally get it now. And, you know, I carried that guilt because you don't, I don't think until you've actually experienced it, you don't understand. No, no. I, and that's one of the things that I've, I think I, like, as, as we just said, it's a lonely time in that first phase when you, you literally, nobody around you really gets where you're at, but I had to really stop and think later on when I understood how hard it is for other people that haven't, you know, had to go through it, actually just don't get it. And mm. and it's not their fault. They just don't have any mm. reference point for what you're talking about. Mm. And, uh, you know, a lot of my friends and that, I, and, you know, even some of my family were just like, oh, when are you going to get over that and just get back on with it? Mm. It's yeah. like, it's not going to work like no. that. Even uh, just talking to outsiders about the fact that we have this mental health diagnosis, yeah. you know, I think internally as emergency service workers, I think in particular it resonates with police and ambulance workers that our interactions with people who have identified mental health issues is at the extreme. Yeah. You know, they are, we're dealing with them when they're having an experience that's a threat to themselves or someone else. So for us to then have to say external people to outsiders, I have this mental health issue, what we think that means is a really scary prospect. Yeah. Oh, like, how do I tell people that I've got a mental health issue? And realising that it's so common and it's so normal in everyday life and that you look like us and you behave yeah. like us and it's so normal, yet we have this fear and um, association with what mental health is to us. Mm. Mm. So that can be a really big barrier. I didn't tell anyone I had PTSD for three years. You know, it wasn't until my behaviour forced me to tell people yeah. um, to make sense of my behaviour. But that shame that sat with, and I didn't feel like I deserved PTSD. My trauma and my experiences weren't significant enough in my mind to be able to say I have PTSD. Um, you know, I think all of those things sit layered within what that initial stage of yeah. diagnosis looks like, you know, yeah. what we hold mm. for our identity, what it means as emergency service workers, you know, there's, it's so involved. And I think too from the policing element, I, the, the AMBOs would no doubt understand it as well, but one of the, one of the differences I think with the police uh, 
involvement in this process is a little different work-wise because, I mean, the fireys don't have to go and pick up Schedule 2s and take them to a, mm. like, literally mm. to a, a, well, buoy bin is what <laughs> what the term is, but, you know, a psych ward. And you do that time and time and time again in the police, you're forever picking up psych patients that mm. are in desperate need of care. But, you know, realistically, you're picking up another buoy, taking them to the bin, drop them off. Exactly. And then all of a sudden you go, well, I know I did. I went, that's not me. But, and, it, but is it was. Me. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, well, that can't be me because yeah. I'm, I'm not a buoy. Like, yeah. I don't care what anyone says. It's not me. And there you go. You actually have to cross check mm. and go, wow. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, from the fiery side of things or, you know, some of the other uh, emergency services, I mean, they've never had that sort of built into their work. And mm. I think that that embeds a particular mindset within yourself about what a mental health patient is and what it mm. isn't. And yes. you never ever classify yourself mm. in your own mind as one of those people that you picked up and dropped off and signed the paperwork for. It's like, wow. Mm. And I think it's also embedded within the organisations, the culture. Um, PTSD symptoms kind of keeps you alive when you've got your uniform on. Yeah. You're hypervigilant, you're aware all the time, your instincts are on fire. Yeah. Um, so that culture of and everyone's the same. So your whole team's experiencing all of those symptoms. Yeah, so you, yeah. you're all okay. You feel normal. Yeah. But it's when you're outside of that culture and you're in your community life and your family life that those those triggers and those symptoms are not okay. Yeah, that's right. They're really weird, aren't they? When you when you put a, a normal lens over it, if you call it that. Yeah. I don't, know, I don't yeah. want to call that. It's normal. But, yeah, I mean, I, I remember when I changed jobs and got out of the cops and uh, I literally, you know, had about a week off, I think, between change, changing over to another government department. And I remembered thinking in the meal room on like day two going, who are these creatures, mm. you know, that I was mm. working with literally. <laughs> and I'm like, I was trying to, you know, make a few jokes and whatever. It just was not compatible with where yeah. I was at. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm like, wow, yeah. this is going to take a while. <laughs> and, uh, and it did take a long, long, actually, I don't even know whether I really properly ever did adjust. I, I don't know whether it actually re- really ever probably got there, but I, probably got better at it, but it was always still clunky and I always still mm. felt a little bit like this is a bit odd to me, like mm. that normal life was a bit weird. Mm. And, I think um, we're conditioned mm. from such a young age. Like we were 20 when we joined. Yeah, right. We know nothing else yeah. other than shop talk, smack yeah. talk, yeah. meal room banter. Black humour. Yeah, we yeah. quickly learned Drinking. that we can't then talk like that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You're right. Outside of that culture. Yeah. Yeah. It's embedded though, you know, it really becomes our core beliefs. Like yeah. all the things that we talked about, you know, in our engagement with mental health, they've formed our beliefs on what we think mental health looks like. Yeah. You know, all of these changes in beliefs and moods, they're so embedded from such a young age. You know, we talk mm. about we're 20, you know, your brain hasn't fully developed yet. Yeah. Yet the way that we're interacting with the world is changing the way yeah, that our you're, brains... you're being programmed. Yeah. You're literally, you're being yeah. programmed. It's why we point. struggle to have empathy for other people. Yeah. You know, all of these things, you know, that's what we've learned in our diagnosis about the science behind what's actually happening in our body mm. and brains when we're going through those things. And it was the first time after diagnosis that it made sense of those interactions with other people, why they felt clunky. Mm. 
you know, that it, no one teaches us this stuff. They don't teach us that these things are actually shifting in our brain and there's a reason why we struggle to engage in our emotions mm. or we struggle to engage in them appropriately because when you're in fight flight, you can't use that part of your brain. Well, I think I've been in fight flight for 22 years yeah, now. Right. Now, wonder yeah. I can't regulate my emotions properly. Yeah. You know, and that brings down the stigma. There's yeah. a reason, you know, and it's medical. Yeah, it's the not science something behind just it. in my I, head. Yeah, mm. I think the, the sort of the, that hard science or that chemistry in your brain when people actually explain to you mm -hmm. like something that you can see under a microscope because – you know, there's not a lot about this these conditions that you can see, but when you actually have that scientifically explained to you, going, that's why this is happening. Mm. Uh, that was a bit of a light bulb moment moment for me, actually. And uh, but I was a little bit the same. Pia, I had uh, I had some really prominent uh, physical uh, presentations actually towards the uh, to when I really fell mm. fell down, um, if I call it. That's probably not a good way to put it. But when I really mm. hit mm. hit hit my moment. Um, I had all sorts of physical presentations of, you know, pains and I actually blew a whole bunch of uh, blood vessels in my left eye, um, burst in my left eye. Um, wow. Still not really well explained. It was obviously a blood pressure related event, but, um, you know, I had abdominal pains, I had pains in my head. I thought I had mm. a brain tumour. I was having all these scans and mm. things mm. and then boom. It was actually not really about any of that. It was like something else. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's sort of weird how that happens. Oh, totally. And then I think after someone actually tells you, of course, you go to Dr. Google. Yeah. And then you go, yeah, tick, tick, tick. Yeah. And then for me, I don't know if you guys were the same. I kind of only through therapy then was I able to work backwards and really start to see when I started to unravel. And that was probably a good four or five years prior yeah, to right. my diagnosis. So my, and then, so my alcohol use was through the roof just yeah. so I could sleep. So I didn't have nightmares, um, which means that I was not really functioning properly yeah. the next day. That's such a common story. Oh, it? it is so common. And I mean, this is what um, part of what emergency does now is we go into training days and we deliver a one and a half hour training yeah. based on scientific evidence. And it's only through our recovery and our therapy that we were able to put two and two together yep. and stand at the front of current serving um, organisations, police officers, and say, this is what PTSD looks like. And the stats, stats are showing that, you know, a handful of you guys are going yeah. to have a diagnosis. Yeah. So this is what you need to look out for. This is the self-awareness around what symptoms to look out for. If someone maybe caught on to the fact that I was drinking so much after a shift, mm -hmm. I was completely functioning, don't get me wrong. Um, but in order, I would finish a shift at six o'clock, I'd come home 6.30 and I would smash a bottle of wine just yeah. so I could relax to be yeah. able to fall asleep. If someone had maybe picked that up yeah. five years prior to my diagnosis, I might not be here. Yeah. yeah. Even just having that awareness of your thoughts and whether they're normal or not, again, I think if we look at our colleagues, they would have the same thoughts. But if we are someone on the outside... You know, I only did it, you know, I was diagnosed in 2016 and I've only just started to talk to my husband about what the actual thoughts are in my head. He has nothing to do with the emergency services. And just talking to him about the fact that, you know, 
um, I realised that from an incident 10 years ago that when I walk into a bathroom cubicle and there's a double set of doors that I prepare myself to see some pretty horrific things and I play that out in my mind. And when I told him, he was like, you think that? And I thought it was normal. I've been replaying this scenario for 15 years. Yeah, right. And I never knew that that wasn't normal. Yeah. And normal being that that every other person that's walking around this earth is not doing something similar. Yeah. 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 And I think it's just being able to say to people, you know, this is an awareness you also need to have internally Mm. to be able to identify that, you know, there are concerning things or there's something presenting that you need to address. Mm. Um, And that's something we were never aware of until we had literally Mm. collapsed in a pile and started seeking treatment. It's really tricky uh, isn't it in your in your workplace when a lot of this sort of stuff is quite normalised because there's so mm. many other people there that are probably, you know, teetering on the edge of that that balance point themselves and you know this it's just so normalised and it, and it is really hard to actually recognise some of that stuff sometimes and yeah I I, I think um, yeah just thinking back about when I did transition into a different government department I remember one of the one of the first meetings that we had as a team uh, had to do with health and uh, like it was a WHS sort of mention in the agenda and someone mentioned that their keyboard ergonomics were probably not quite right for their body shape <laughs> and could they have one of those funky keyboards with the keys on an angle. Wow. And I'm, I just about burst out laughing thinking that was a big piss take and, I, and then I went, hang on, no one else is smiling in yeah. here. And I went, holy hell, we've, I've just come from where I've come from yeah. talking about things that actually get you hurt. You know, you know, like yeah. if, if someone wanted to mention a WHS section in a in a meeting, there was something that was going to get someone hurt, and here's someone actually talking about the ergonomics of yeah. their shoulders and this keyboard, and I'm like, wow, wow. I've just walked into a different world. Yeah, and that's yeah. why we yeah. like empathy because we we mm. compare yeah. everyone's experience. I only just held it together. I was so close to just bursting mm. out laughing, and uh, luckily I didn't because it was fair mm. income, mm. and uh, that was part of the adjustment. Hey, that's yeah, uh, yeah. but that's. That's what I'm sort of saying. That's the contrast, isn't it, to that normal piece and then, you know, what's what's normalised and what's normal are two different things, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So. um, Sorry, we digress. This is a bad habit. Well, no. (laughs) One question and we went there. You both warned me about this (laughs) probably going to happen anyway, so I'll just let it run. But uh, look, so getting, uh, Mm. just coming back to emergency and that side Mm. of things coming together. Mm. So. Obviously, those things have happened in your work careers and then just explain to everybody how that evolved, I guess, into emergency mm. as, as people would know it now. And if, if they don't know it, they do now. We'll yes. put the links in the show, mm. show notes. But, um, yeah, so just, just explain how that came to be. I really like telling this part of the story because I think if anyone is in the situation that we were in, it provides a lot of hope uh, for the future And I think when you're diagnosed um, and you are suffering, you very much lose that sense of hope. Mm. So um, eventually Alana and I both uh, were inpatients. Alana was at St. John of God at Richmond and I was at the Hills Clinic. Coincidentally, uh, it just happened that way. Um, And we would talk as we normally would. as a support network for each other. And we were both on this particular day just astounded 
by the amount of other emergency services that were also inpatients yeah. at the time. Uh, because when you go in there, you think that you're the only yeah, one. Isn't it? You feel like you're isolated. <laughs> and then when you get there, you're like, oh, shit, like there's other people yeah. that are like me. It makes you feel kind of a little bit better. Yeah. Um, and they look completely normal as well as yep. what like you do. Um, so we basically, emergency was founded in inpatient facilities. We said when we get better and when we're okay, we want to make sure that no one has fought this battle alone and had to um, go to the depths to find information. Yeah, right. Uh, because we found it very difficult to find information, resources, diagnosis information, yeah. support, organisational support. Um, so we wanted to ensure that no one else suffered like we did. It's, it's a tricky time, isn't years. it? Because I, I often look back at it and think the amount of information and like just general requirements that were thrown at me at that point in mm. time was at my lowest ever cognitive capacity mm. in my life. Mm. And there's so much, there is so much you have to comprehend and get through mm -hmm. and work with at a point in time in your life when you've probably got the least capacity to do so. And it's mm -hmm. really tough. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I don't think it was until um, I was diagnosed that Alana probably, correct me if I'm wrong, got on the correct path yeah. because you were just like in the ocean by yourself, really. Yeah. yeah, right. I was so, I was getting worse the longer that I had my diagnosis with no support, with no information. By that stage, I knew that I was medically retiring. Yeah. I was losing my identity. Um, I was struggling with the medication, you know, so I was having yeah. severe reactions. Then I was drinking with medication. So then all of a sudden my social support network was I was blowing it up from yeah, the inside yeah. out. Yeah. My life was falling apart and it really wasn't until Pia was diagnosed was the first time that I felt like I had some level of support and that I could see a way forward. You know, before that I just thought that's, you know, like Pia alluded to, you lose hope. Three years down the track, I was at a point where I was like, if this is what the rest of my life is going to look like, what's the point? Yeah. Because it's a horrible place to be in. And exactly like you, Matt, I I had no capacity to deal with life, yeah. let alone, you know, when it's a work-related injury, it's even more complex. And when it sits so heavily within who you hold your identity with, you know, we are police. Yeah. And the fact that your mental health was going to mean that you couldn't be that anymore, you know, there were all of those things. And, you know, even going into that mental health facility um, to get hope, that was the first time, and again, that was more than three years into my diagnosis, that I sat in a room without alcohol being involved and laughed genuinely and yeah, right. I didn't have to pretend to be someone else for the first time ever because I knew in that room there was no judgment, yeah. that they were all like me, they all understood because they were all there for exactly the same reason and that's really powerful for something so scary mm. and to feel like at one of the worst times in your life to provide some comfort and understanding and validation and hope um, that there mm. were lots of us and it was shocking to see how many of us there were in those places and that's yeah. growing every yeah. day, every year. 
Yeah, definitely. It shocked me too because one of the things that I got recommended to go and do was a PTSD outpatient program as well and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, just the volume of fireys, cops, ambos, military people there. It's like I've been going there for a long time now and seen a lot of people come and go but it's just this constant stream mm-hmm. of people. And, and the same thing we've discovered now is, you know, even in the emergency services in the volunteer sector, you know, SES, RFS, the volunteers there, you know, we go and do this job. We get paid every day. that's right. They go and do this because there is something innately within them that wants to provide this level of care to the community. And then you see them in the hospitals. Mm. They're not covered under workers' compensation. You know, there's it's so layered, um, the effects that service-related trauma has Mm. and the reach that it has on our community. I think a lot of people would be shocked to know mm. how many of us are in those facilities. Mm. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's a figure that's well known. And, uh, you know, I know the uh, Beyond Blue report, you know, certainly stipulates quite alarming figures, I guess, about the likelihood of suffering PTSD mm-hmm. or other mental sort of related condition when you're involved in the emergency services world. But you know, when you see the reality of what that actually means and the numbers that that actually translates to, it's like, wow, yeah. there are yeah. so many people affected. It's it's really mind-boggling. It's mm-hmm. hard to get your head around. I think it can, you know, you can have sort of the community look at things like, well, what did you expect? Yeah. You know, I hear that a lot. You know, you yeah. joined the police force. What did you expect you were going to see? And I think being able to, you know, just open people's eyes to, I saw everything I expected to see. My issues didn't come from what I saw. My issues came from what that did to me inside, the emotional toll that it takes on you. The psychological side, it's not the visual. It's what it's doing to you psychologically that we're not aware of. Um, And at 20... My brain's not even developed to know that that's going to really stuff you around. (laughs) And it's going to have impacts on your family engagement, on your beliefs like we talked about before. You know, I think there's so much more to what we're experiencing than what we just see. Yeah, that's right. And and you definitely don't get that in the brochure when you join, uh, when you're walking. Definitely not. (laughs) No. That's not in any glossy glossy brochure I ever saw. And I think we probably still would now. I mean, for me now, five years later, after five years of intensive treatment and therapy, given the opportunity, would I choose to go back and do that again? Yep. Mm. A year into my diagnosis, hell no. No, yeah. But now with an understanding of why it made my life in every aspect unbearable Mm. Mm. and that there are strategies that I could have used. There was an awareness that I could have had. Um, I think if it's done the right way, it's an amazing career and it gets to fulfil that need for service um, and purpose that we hold so strongly. Um, But it's so much more complex than, yeah, what we maybe think. Yeah, Mm. and I think... You know, the the proactive work that you're doing through emergency is so important because I, I, I look back at how much exposure I got to that, uh, got, got exposed to in that storytelling piece or advisory piece. Uh, it wasn't a lot um, in either agency that I worked for in the police or the fire rescue side of things. Um, and... I think what I've learned is so much 
that if you recognize the fact that your work you're doing is going to impact you psychologically mm. because of the nature of it, just accept it. If if you actually grapple with how to manage that better preventatively and then, um, you know, in in times of travelling well, then you've got such a better chance to actually mm. endure it for the long haul and or if you have a hurdle or if it does hit you hard, then you've got such a better capacity to go, all right, this has really knocked me where to from here and deal with it rather than actually letting it erode you and then trying to hide it and being ashamed of it. So, mm. yeah, it's sort of it's I completely really important agree. Work. I think if someone had said to me, um, these are your risks, just like a physical injury, right? Yeah. These are your risks. If you do this, this and this, you might be okay. You've got a better chance of survival. Hell yeah, I'm going to do that. Yep. If someone said to me, after a double beeper and you get in the car, after that, just do 10 breaths, belly breaths, and that'll calm your nervous system. Yeah. Or just even explain to me that I had two different nervous systems. Yeah, 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 that's right. Just the scientific basis. If someone said that, of course, of yeah. course we'd be doing that. Yeah. My question is, why are we not being taught this scientific basis for this diagnosis? Why are we not being taught those skills when the stats say we're likely to get PTSD because of our occupation? Yeah. Yeah. That's and the really huge. Yeah, simple strategies, you know, a, a part of when emergency started and, you know, Pierre and I were both in hospital and it was a need that we needed to support people who already had identified mental health yep. complexities that needed a level of guidance and support in, you know, potentially a transition out of the workplace, loss of identity, connectedness with community again, um, without feeling like you're going to go back into a war storytelling yeah, yeah, yeah. situation. We knew that it had to be, you know, a line in the sand of who we are right now, not who we used to be. Yep. And navigating them in a work-related injury, um, but that was taking away their purpose um, every day and how it was affecting their family connections. Yeah. Um, you know, things like the drinking, going beyond what a work-related injury said recovery looked like because I had followed the method of GP psychologists and psychiatrists for three years and still ended up in inpatient care. Yeah, okay. You know, what else did we need and what else do people need individually to reconnect with purpose and passion and community that's going to help them get better, yep. that isn't on a list that, you know, the insurer provides. Yeah. And that's where emergency started, but it very much went quickly into you know, we need to go and do these sessions. And, well, that know, came to us, really, yeah. with the, the spate of suicides yeah, last right. year, yeah, the high rate of suicides. We were approached and because we had originally started as more of a retired kind of connection base, oh, yeah. Yeah. we were like, well, yeah, we'd always thought, well, why are we catching them out of the funnel? Let's try and get them up the top yeah, so they don't fall through the funnel. Sorry, I interrupted yeah. you there. But no, that's such important work because, like, as you, as you said, I can imagine standing in front of that room and, and funnily enough, actually, when I was really crook initially, the, some of the first thoughts once I'd got over my own sort of personal real big hurdles, um, one of the first thoughts I had 
actively was I've got to go and help people mm. like like mm. me. I've got to go and tell them what what this mm. is all about. And that yes. was the first thing that jumped in my head. How do I do that? And I thought mm. they're never going to let some raving lunatic on <laughs> massive doses of medication go and stand in yeah, front of a fast well, doctor. They do. But, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's so important because if you walk, if you think about the 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 logistics of that room and go, okay, ten percent of you are probably going to go down my path. Mm-hmm. That's that's the stats. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Okay, so <laughs> that side of the room, yeah, you're 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 in. Yep. And then, but then, if you t- like, uh, some of the messaging that I've heard, I've heard similar stuff from so many different people and from different origins, I guess. So, you know, your psychiatrist might tell you something, or your psychologist might tell you something, or you read something, but then along comes a person with inherent credibility for you. So it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean that they've got relevance, but for some reason you've got some credibility with that link with that person. And they tell you the same thing you've heard three or four times and all of a sudden you go, ah. Yes. Oh, okay. That, that, I rate that now. Yeah. And and exactly what you said about the breathing because I, I was mm. only listening to a uh, fighter pilot story on a podcast just the other day who said the one and only time during the whole war deployments he's done that he actually panicked and thought about, I think I've had a hit of adrenaline, was when he, he was trying to evade a surface-to-air missile and got a bit disoriented in the dark, you know, doing all these fancy turns and all that sort of business. But he, what he said is as soon as he got the, the aircraft level, he did his combat breathing. So they call mm, it combat breathing mm, just mm. to check himself back in, make sure he was going to function and then get on with the task at hand. Mm. And I thought to myself, isn't that funny? You hear all this stuff about breathing. You go, my God, it w- if it, like fighter pilots are doing it in the yes. air after yes. they've just been shot at, it's okay for them to do it. It's probably okay for me to do it. Yeah, mm. the you know, and, then, and you sort of rethink it. it. You go, oh, this breathing thing, meh. Yeah. And then you go, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah. That's a cool guy or that's a cool girl. You yeah. Know, yeah. They're doing it. Okay, that's that's okay for me now. When you look at it on an oximeter and you have just someone, you put them under it just a little bit of pressure, not that level of pressure, just a little bit of pressure, and you can see their heart rate and how much it starts to race. The minute you give them a controlled breathing pattern and especially an extended breath out, their heart rate drops, their blood pressure drops. It's actually changing physiologically your fight-flight response. You know, that's what we say in these education sessions. You know, some of the things that are so important to the way we do these things are, one, that it's lived experience. We, We don't want as emergency service workers, they can... You can have someone highly intelligent. Academically, they are brilliant. Yeah. If they walk into a room of emergency service workers and dare to say to us, I know what it feels like to do your job, these yeah. are some strategies. You can hear the shutters. Yeah. No one is interested. <laughs> Don't tell me what it feels like to do my job when yeah. you've never done it. Pia and I walk in there because we've walked those boots, we've run in those boots. Yeah. You know, that gives us that moment where people say, hold on a second. Yeah. They get it. They understand, you know, what we're giving them is factual. It's evidence-based, but it's coming from peers that they trust. And that's been one of the biggest engagements for us is that they're asking for us to come and talk to yeah. them. You know, it took us five years into recovery and, you know, the first time walking back into anything that had a police emblem on it was a psychologist appointment in the car. Yeah, I was about to say, I bet mm. that was a big moment. Yeah. 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 
But it's so important to our recovery. Yeah. Now we're okay. We our breathe psych- through it. Yeah. Our psychologists are really proud that we're actually engaging in strategies that they've taught us, the breath work, yeah. you know, challenging our thoughts. One of the biggest terms that I heard throughout my recovery that I literally use every time I walk into a police station now to do these presentations, I ask myself, is this a threat or a challenge? Yeah, right. Because my brain and my body is telling me it's a threat. threat. yep. But it's not. It's challenging. It's emotionally exhausting. But the rewards that Pia and I get walking into those and knowing, and we know from the feedback that we are making an impact to the people that we're speaking to because Mm. we're not just doom and gloom. We're not there to just tell them, oh, you guys are screwed because you've ticked every box of every symptom that we've just explained to you. But we're giving them what we never had and that's practical, culturally appropriate strategies that they can use between jobs, you know, that they can engage things like their breath work, that they can empower themselves to manage their own mental health and not delegate that to a supervisor. Yeah. You know, this is, you guys have control of this stuff and you can do this job, which is freaking amazing for as long as you want. You just need to actively look after your mental health. You need to look after your relationships outside of this organisation and outside of this job. Yeah. Um, and they're the things mm. that, you know, for us... And that's, I love when we do do these talks and as the charity grows, um, Alana and I, there's only so much we can do, Mm. you know, the charity's growing rapidly, but that's one of the things that we said that we would never stop doing is um, the living experience talks to serving and also visiting our members within the hospitals that are in inpatients because that's where we really find the purpose and the true value because seeing these people's faces when they put two and two together and relate it to our story is amazing. Like I would not change that. I would do that a hundred times over just to see that. So just to be able to walk away knowing, well, I think that pretty confident that we've told them what to look out for. And if that changes one person's trajectory, then our job's done. Yeah, absolutely. Because we joined the police for a lifetime career. Our career was cut short. Um, We don't want to see that to happen to anybody else if it doesn't need to. And you already touched on it, Matt, like when you speak to emergency service workers, it's innately within us all a desire to help Mm -hmm. and to serve and you found it with this podcast, you know, that's your way of doing it. Pia and I found it within the charity and that's the biggest thing we want to reassure our members that life can be really difficult in this journey of managing your mental health, but you can have PTSD and still do amazing things and achieve amazing things. And you can still find purpose, you know, taking away your badge and your uniform doesn't take away your ability to serve, um, to care for others, to do all of those things. So we hope that, you know, as the charity grows and as people, Um, you know, progress with the support and the guidance that we all give each other, that they can then, when they're well enough, turn around and be able to do that for other people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And we've had a lot of people do that as well. There's a lot, I think there's a lot to, um, you know, that that therapies of all sorts can't actually give you that that can give you in, in Mm. in that regaining purpose and feeling like you're doing something worthwhile again. Yeah. I think that's 
it's you know, dreaming. It's being able yeah. to dream and fulfill those dreams. Yeah. And something to be passionate about. Goals. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, we know. I, no, I don't know. Like I've, I just, I, I know what I do with this now as it, it gives me back something that I have not found in two years of pretty intensive therapy. Mm. And yeah, I manage it with the psychologist and, you know, mm. She helps me manage how I go about it and what, what I like the limits within doing what I do and stuff like that. Mm. So, you know, it's not all, it's not a bullet a gate thing and it's not something I, I don't have to be very careful of. But I, you know, while ever it's giving me back something, I'll keep doing it. Yes. The day that it stops doing that, that's the day the recording light stops. And I'm not sure it will ever stop <laughs> because I think like. Myself, like many other people, I listen to so many podcasts Yeah. in terms of self-therapy and trying to find others that I could relate to. Yeah. Um, I strongly believe you can influence so many people with this podcast. Yeah, it's, You're doing it's a amazing. powerful platform, isn't it? It and is, I, like very I, much so. I, I personally, and what I'm hoping this does is get stories like yours and lets mm. other people hear it and they can gain some validation or you know, acceptance within themselves that, yeah, wow, you know, not only is this job that I'm doing tough, mm. it's got baggage because it could bang me, mm-hmm. like bang me up. And, yeah. um, and then, you know, give them the confidence to go, you know what, I, I acknowledge that. And then I'm going to go and do these proactive measures that hopefully set mm. me on, the, as you said, on a different trajectory mm. of not going down this path, go on path A, path B and go, yeah, let them do what they want to do for as long as they want. And Highlighting how unique recovery looks. We can all, we probably all yeah. sit in this van with the same diagnosis, yet what all of us needed in recovery and in learning to yeah, manage our mental different. health. Mm. Yeah, it's so yeah. different. And that's the one thing that we miss out on with a work-related injury, mm. that it's just a very traditional method of what treatment looks like yeah, for PTSD, yeah. which is designed for single incident trauma. Yeah. It's not designed for overexposure well, and continual... And it's in a system that's designed to look after broken legs, unfortunately. Exactly yeah. right. And <laughs> so one of the things that we do is that we look at what does the individual need? What are our members telling us that they innately know that they need to help help them reconnect, to help them find purpose. Yeah. So it's things like surfing therapy. Yep. You know, that I saw they, that one the other day. I thought, wow, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, because they, you know, one, I mean, there's so many reasons why they tell us effective. And we're not talking necessarily about people who surfed yeah. years ago and have disengaged from it. We're talking about people who have never surfed yeah, before, yeah, yeah. who maybe don't even like the water. But again, being in an encouraging environment with yeah. like-minded people, the water we know scientifically, again, has really great, um, you know, benefits for yeah. mental health and what it does physiologically to your body. Yeah. Those are things that, you know, as a work-related injury, you can't go to the insurer and say, oh, will you pay for yeah. my surfing therapies? That's right. So we subsidise the cost, you know, again, with another organisation who looks after veterans, the yeah, Veteran okay. Surf Project. Yep. But we've been able to open that up to emergency service workers yeah, by cool. subsidising those costs. Um, you know, there's so many things that sit outside of traditional treatment yeah. that are so beneficial in that aspect. Yeah, it doesn't giving... have a line item on the claim form. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's the problem, mm. isn't it? And, yep. You know, we've been frustrated at times actually with my side of things because often you go, well, what am, what, what can I do or what am I – like I don't like using the word entitled to but it's, it's more like what are my options? Mm. And they go, oh, well – 
you speak to your GP and they go, well, the GP asked me what my options are. And they mm. go, well, we can't tell you. That's up. And you go, where's that end? Mm, like, yeah. I'd love to go on a trip to America, thanks. But, um, mm. you know, I'm sure you're not going to pay for that. So, yeah, you know, th- there's mm. no sort of parameter there really is there uh, sort of for what's in and out. But uh, you, it's pretty obvious what they're not going to pay for. Yeah, yeah. we or, had that experience Alana did a course, the Change Room, which is a fabulous course, which we're also affiliated yeah, actually, with. Billy, Emergency. Billy Brooks has Billy mentioned Billy did that it. too. Yeah, and that's right. words from his wife were, it was a game changer. Yeah, it right, was a game okay. changer for him. Okay. Um, which is great feedback. Also, Alana loved it. I yeah. tried to do it. Mess, emailed my case manager, no peer, no peer, no yeah. peer. Keep emailing, no, no, until the point where she said to me, do not ask us again. Wow. You are not allowed to do this course. And it's a Sierra endorsed course and Alana had done it. <laughs> and so they're the things that we make sure now. Billy went. I don't give him that title anymore, by the way, either. Case manager. Oh, uh, no. Uh, called what? insurance assessors. Okay. okay. That's what they <laughs> yeah, are. true. But it true. is. It was about us. Well, what's the barrier? You know, we both have engaged, you know, with members who we say, well, these would be really great. And if you can't get them through the insurer and your medical team saying that yeah. they feel like it might benefit and you as the person who has to go through the experience feels like it might be, but just might yeah. be, this might be beneficial to you. So again, we subsidize those costs to be able to get our members engaged with things that they feel are relevant yeah, to right. them. That's this cool. shouldn't be someone else telling them, you know, we've just participated in the frontline mental health conference last mm. week up yeah, in Queensland. Yeah. And the biggest take home I had for that is the reinforcement that the individual has to be at the center of their own um, mental health journey yep. in the treatment, in navigation of that, in how they want to engage. It has to be them driving that. Yep. We can't be driven by other people who aren't experiencing this us and we don't trust people. Yeah, that's right. As emergency yeah. service workers, oh, yeah. it's hard enough that goes for out us. The window, to, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So let us drive it. We're all pretty driven people. Yeah. Let us tell you what we need for our recovery. And I'm sure if they allowed us to do that, we'd be getting much better outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't doubt that at all. And mm. I um yeah, it's sort of it's it would be a good thing just to have the person the person at the centre of the whole process, I think, realistically, rather than all this other, you know, the the reality of it is a lot of it's financially geared mm. and liability-wise to the insurer geared and mm. that's just, that's the system. But, you know, it, it is, it's really frustrating, isn't it? I hear it all the time uh, with the people in my networks of, you know, somebody's been given access to try this type of treatment and another mm. person tries it and just gets knocked back. And mm. it's like, hang on a minute, they're from the same organisation under the same insurer yeah. with the same condition. Mm-hmm. There's no standard. How does that work? Yeah. You know? And I think it depends as well at what stage you're at. If you're, you've got your discharge date, they're not going to, they're not going to approve no. any programs for you in hope that you might return to work. Yeah, true. Um, yeah. So I think then you're, you go down a lot in the amount that they want to spend on you. Yeah, yeah. And I think for Pia and I, again, we're both, I mean, as you can see, even within our own problems and being in hospital is that we don't like to have a problem and not be a part of a solution. Yeah. And our I've biggest thing is you, <laughs> <laughs> we will fix this. Um, we are both fixers. And even that, you know, drawing attention to these issues. So for us, advocacy is huge. Yeah, yeah. And it is about collectively becoming the voice of all of our members, all emergency services 
service workers to say, these are where the problems are. And the one thing we're realising is the power, and that's how our story started, the power of the living experience voice. There is no one better to guide mental health policy, mental health procedure, Mm. um, work-related, mental health-related work injury claims. There needs to be a place for the living experience voice to share with these organisations where their failures are, where we suggest as a collective there could be improvements. What do we need? When has the insurer or the organisation ever said, what do you need? Yeah. No one asks us. We've already lost control of our lives. Yeah, that's right. It, mm. it, yeah. <laughs> and no one ever asks us how they can improve. How can we get this better? They don't ever validate what we've experienced. The power in just asking all of us, if an organisation said, do you know what, guys, come in, we want to hear your voice. Yeah. What that would do for each individual to know that their experience might positively impact. Yeah. For someone, someone else, else is huge. Mm. Just that as a part yeah. of our own recovery is enormous. Yeah. You know, and that's what we're advocating for is for these organisations to listen to our voices, yeah. to all of us, to yours, to ours, to our 1,500 members, and then to the people who are still serving and potentially mm. suffering in silence. You know, what do they need? The New South Wales Police have just announced $79 million into the Pulse program. You know, we're asking where is the living experience voice being mm. embedded within the review of pre-existing policies and procedures and things that haven't worked and where are they in the formation of these new policies and yeah, procedures and go? initiatives? Yeah. Mm. You know, that's what we're asking. Yeah. I mean, as of the insurer as well. Yeah, no, like from, from where I'm at, I've certainly tried to make some uh, or draw some attention to some decisions that have been made in my particular case with every everybody from the ministers to the like the, the emergency services minister, the police minister, the workers' comp minister, they've all been contacted in their shadows and the regulator and directly into eye care. And it's amazing how many people um, – I mean, I, I, I can't – I'm sure what I'm – what the hurdles that I've hit aren't unique and I'm mm. sure other people have hit them, uh, but not a lot of people seem like they're standing up and just going, hang on a minute, mm. that is not right. What mm. you're doing here is it, that's not, that's not in my best interests and mm. it's certainly not complying with guidelines. Mm. You know, you've got to, you know, that, that's got to get looked at. Mm. Um, I don't think a lot of you're people talk- do that. Yeah, but you're talking about people that are so defeated. Mm. Well, this is the problem, isn't it? Because the cognitive impairment, like you're talking Correct. about people that are not only defeated, but they are cognitively yes. impaired. Yes. Yeah. So Depressed. how on, Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like the worst time of their life and mm. they're getting put through these, mm. these things, just submitting and giving in and giving up. Mm. And just yeah. that, and that's what I'm finding is is uh, so important about your organisation for the collective that probably on their own may not speak up, but mm. uh, I think uh, as a as a collective voice, there's so much power in from what from where you both are now as to what you could actually deliver back to those to those people that actually are in positions of change, like to influence change. Mm. And we yeah, are like we're we, trying, yeah. And we talk about the fact that we still live with our mental health yeah, of complexities. You yeah. know, mm. we're maybe not even a complete 
brain joined, you know, that <laughs> I still struggle to read volume text, you know, or oh, yeah. we have yeah, members yeah, yeah. who are so lovely and they'll reach out and they'll say, oh, here's a case law. Oh, and I say, Just that's gr- great, but I can't read that. Yeah. Is there yeah. someone who could perhaps who does have that capacity read yeah. it and just summarise for for us? Because yeah. again, seven years later, there are still those limitations um, to what we can do. But a, another ethos of emergency is about collaboration. Yeah. It's about collectively coming together. You know, as a membership group, those who are living experience, working together to be a stronger voice, but also about, you know, collectively and collaboratively having those who support emergency service mental health working together because navigating them in isolation is tiring. And if they could come Mm. together to be able to work together and know that a psychologist, a psychiatrist and a GP have so many other providers that are accessible to them and their patients that could make a difference to that one individual and not all of our treatment and recovery looks the same, that it's so unique to each individual and we know for years, especially cops, you just follow what the person did before you because one, you don't have the capacity and you don't have the ability to fight and Mm. navigate that on your own. And so a lot of us for years are making decisions based off what the guy before us did Mm. that really we shouldn't have been making those choices because they weren't right for us and our individual needs. Mm. So it's just the awareness around... There's also a lot of family breakdown. So you lose your support Mm. network. So you're fighting solo. Um, You know, you've got your beautiful wife Mm. that is your best advocate. She's the powerhouse. <laughs> she yeah. is the powerhouse. Um, yeah. You're very lucky. Some people don't have that because of this diagnosis. Yeah. And spiraling even prior to that leaves them um, with a marriage breakdown yeah. or um, family torn apart. Um, so when you're in that deep hole, which we've all been in, um, I feel like, yeah, you've got nothing left to give. There's yeah. no fight there. The family dynamics, I think, you know, we're really focusing on the importance of empowering a family unit. Yeah, right. Because one, this, you know, these mental health issues that we face, they're not just faced by us, you know, our families, our children, our partners Mm. are all affected by this. And again, one, uh, our partners and our family members. You know, when I was 20 and I joined, it was my mum who I was living at home. She wasn't sleeping at night while I went to a (laughs) 12-hour shift in fear of what the consequences would be. She was impacted by my choices and then by my diagnosis. But no one's ever talking to family about why, you know, what we're now scientifically explaining to these emergency service workers, being able to share that with families, that they're not alone, you know, that there are reasons why and there's scientific explanations Mm. or there's cultural explanations as to their partner's behaviours. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And then... It's really disappointing to see how little focus there is on that family unit and particularly the partner uh, in Mm. uh, a lot of what I've been through because you hear it all the time. You go, oh, well, you're really lucky to have that support. And I'm like... Who's supporting her? It shouldn't rely on that. (laughs) Like the system should be robust enough to not rely on someone else that might not even be there for a lot of people. correct, correct. And and I also, I I do get worried because like as a support person, she sits in with me through all of my different 
assessments and things. And I'm sure she's hearing stuff that I've never, mm. I've never, I've intentionally never told her about. Mm. And uh, I, that worries me because, you know, there's a reason I never told her about a lot of that stuff that I'm now being asked about. Mm. And that vicarious you know, trauma. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that, that, that on its, that in itself is a, yeah. is a, is a concern for me. Yeah. Uh, like, and, and I really, like, you shouldn't be worried about your support person when you're mm, things mm, like mm. that. You should, you have them there for support. You shouldn't be taking them along going, uh, yeah. you know, I'm worried about taking this person along. Um, it should be the other way around, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah. it's a problematic system, but it's great to see your supporting, like your focus is the, the spectrum of, of the whole mm. family unit rather than just the, that, that individual worker. Cause I'm pretty sure a lot of the a lot of those uh, family members probably feel very left out of the picture during the career as well um, as a bit of a, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the career does dominate a lot of it does. what happens. And, and We talk uh, about that within our um, talks is a classic example of you come home from a 12-hour shift, right, and your partner's made dinner because you've worked all day mm. and you sit down at the table and they want to talk about yeah. their day and everything. Yeah. They ask you, how's your day? And you go, uh, <laughs> you've got nothing to give yeah. because you've been in that fight mode your entire time. Then your partner cracks the shits because you don't want to engage in a conversation. Yeah. They've cooked dinner for you. You literally have nothing left to give. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Um, and that's part. That's all part of um, being self-aware. Yeah. Being your best version of yourself when you go home to your family because your family doesn't need you yeah. as a cop or an ambo or a fire. Yeah, they didn't sign up for that bit. They yeah. did not sign up for that no. bit at all. And we watch, like when we talk to and we sit and we talk to partners or yeah. family members. I was going to ask you, how, what does that look like? Because we, we're talking about it, but I'm just wondering, how do you do that? Yeah, yeah how we, does that we sit down with them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah cool. We invite them for yeah. coffee and sit down with them. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And they often will say to us, you're the first people who have made sense yeah, of right. all of this. How and cool is that? the validation that they feel firstly, just like us, that it's not just them. Yeah. This isn't isolated to their family. Their experience isn't unique, that their partner's experience isn't yeah. unique. You know, for them that becomes reassuring that there's more of us and they want to be connected with people that understand because they also hold shame or the idea that it, it doesn't make sense when they're telling their friends who are outside of the emergency service yeah. bubble, you know, that my partner's going through this or explaining why their partner's not working. Yeah. You know, there is so much that sits within the family unit and what it's doing to the family unit. But the first time we say to a partner, how are you? Are you okay? What do you need? Mm. And you watch their face kind of perplex, like, <laughs> what do you mean you're asking about me? Yeah. You know, they're so used to No one's to ever it. asked that before. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's always about the partner That's right. who's yeah. going through yeah. it. That they, you know, we encourage them about how to support the emergency service worker, yeah. but a huge focus on what do they need? How can they look after themselves through this and their family? Because yeah. they're trying to juggle all the balls. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that's exhausting. Mm. Yeah. And look, I just from a personal point of view, I have no idea where I would be at without that in the yeah. background. And, yeah. and I would, I know I wouldn't be here and I know I wouldn't be, mm. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today mm. at all. That would, that mm. I, Likewise, I, I yeah. hate to think where I'd be. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I was actually telling Sarah a story uh, just literally yesterday about a uh, job I did in the mountains. It's not a triggery job. Um, it's, yeah. It was just a normal search type type thing one night going down these dark 
dark mountains tracks looking for some overdue people or something and I come across this old bloke that looked like a storybook storybook swaggy. He he literally <laughs> was this old dude with a a, a busted ass old Akubra hat on that was obviously way overdue for replacement. He had a literally, I'm not joking, like a kerosene lantern. Like oh, wow. And a, and a swag and a bag. <laughs> and I've looked at this old guy in the middle of nowhere, the back of, off the back of the cliffs at Blackheath. And I'm like, wow. Like, uh, it, it threw me when I spotted him and went, I was not expecting to see that. Like, because yeah. you're thinking, like, the middle of the night, you're looking for someone overdue, missing. You're thinking yeah, the only yeah. other people out here are going to be us and the people we're looking for. Mm. It's like, whoa, hey, <laughs> what are you doing here? He's like, ah, you know, just I'm just sleeping in this cave tonight. And I'm like, ah, oh, well, uh, you know, straight into task at hand mode of, have you seen these people that, you know, da 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 da? And no, nah, I haven't seen anyone. And so, what are you doing here? He's like, well, well, you know, this is what I do, just travel around and oh, stay wherever. Disconnect. And, and I had a bit, like a real quick chat with him because we're on our way, you know, we're trying to clear a, clear a path, uh, to, to search a path, sorry. And, um, yeah, I had a, just a quick chat with him and I remember he, he said he was an ex-Special Forces soldier and, you know, since he got home he'd just been a bit lost. And here I walked off thinking, stupid old coot. Like... <laughs> God, I'm not going to waste any more time with you. You probably have seen the people we're looking for, you know, as another, yeah. there's another person that should go to the buoy bin. Yeah. And um, <laughs> walked off. But years, these years later, and I'm talking, that's probably like, you know, 15 or 20 years ago. Yeah. But now I'm going, I wonder if that actually was his story and he just yeah. doesn't know how to be around people. Well, I'm thinking, yeah. where's that cave? Can I go there? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's what people do. They Believe go off not, grid. This is, <laughs> we I say. think literally what you just said. Pierre is probably where my mind's gone at times yes. thinking is that, you know, I could see myself doing that, mm. this recluse little hermit mm. hiding in the mountains yeah, uh, away from everyone and everything. And, yeah. and I, I think back about that guy and go, actually, now now that I know what I know, I wouldn't it be surprised if he sense. was actually yeah. legit. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. You know? And we know well, so many well. members do that. They detach yeah. from yeah. family, from oh, community. Bush. And Pia and I have a joke about, you know, that you know the first signs that there's something wrong with your mental health when you hate all nouns. And people are like, what? And we realise you hate people, places and things. Yeah. You hate yeah, everything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and literally that's why people go. <laughs> Never heard that before. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we say it all the yeah. time. All the time. <laughs> because it literally becomes this That's thing cool. that you want to detach from yeah. everything. everything. There yeah. is nothing that does not bother you, that does not trigger yeah. you. And it makes sense when people go off grid because they're yeah. trying to remove themselves yeah. from all of those things. And, and it's so observable for other people because like literally last night, I think one of my girls texted me a screenshot of a T-shirt that said, I'm not for everyone. Because uh, it's just, they yeah. just know that's just me. I don't do people. I don't yeah. do places. <laughs> you don't do nouns. It's like, going to be your thing you know, now. Yeah, I don't do don't nouns. Do nouns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Could you just give us a run through of some of the activities and things that you've either just recently done or, or doing at the moment? Mm, so as a charity, we have evolved rapidly 
um, sent well, in two years. So we evolve with what our members need. Yep. So originally we started um, as a retired base. So uh, we currently have 23 connect hubs throughout New South Wales and ACT. Yeah, right. Which provides a connection basis for our retired members. As we were discussing, you lose your sense of tribe, your purpose. Yeah. Um, so to be able to connect like-minded people, um, especially within regional and remote areas, is really important, um, that one-on-one contact. So who's open, like who's able to be part of the Connect Hub? Yeah, so anyone that's um, been an emergency service worker, you know, those Connect Hubs are really about people who are either in the process of exiting uh, their service yeah. uh, or who have been, and that's with no time frame. You know, we know that, you know, where there were small amounts of services um, to support emergency service mental health and even within the organisations themselves, they would say, well, we'll support you for 12 months after you've been disengaged from service yeah. and then you're on your own. Yeah. Well, six years later, I still need help, guys. Yeah. Um, so that's about, you know, capturing anyone. If you've been out of service for 15 years, 20 years, and you still need and want to connect or need support, um, we're here for you. An emergency is here for you. So, yeah, the Mm. Connect Hubs are really important and, you know, highlighting the fact that we probably all go through a stage where the idea of connecting with anyone who has anything to do with who we used to be and with service can – there's a point in recovery, I think, where that's impossible. Mm. You're not ready for that connection yet. I think throughout your recovery, though, you realise there's parts of that that you really miss. Yeah, you miss it. Mm. And you maybe don't feel connected with others in the community that don't quite get you or you don't really feel like-minded to them. So we want to connect people but in a positive and future-focused way. This isn't about who any of us used to be. Our connection hubs are a line in the sand. This is who you are today. Um, And without feeling a need to put on a front, you know, you can go into these places and know you can have be having a bad day, but everyone else sitting at that table or engaging within that activity, they get it because they've been there as well. But it's positive, it's encouraging, it's future focused. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they can be a, a weekly walk, which is some of our hubs do, a weekly walk and a coffee. Um, or it could be our wellness activities, you know, going and doing the surfing programs. Pottery. Uh, pottery. We had a group do pottery class. Yeah. yeah. Um, rock climbing. Yes, is a big one. We yep. love to rock climb. I think, you know, Water they're not. therapy. Yeah, they're not, they're not just about uh, the connectedness. The wellness activities we do often are there to also teach you lessons about how to actively manage mental health. Mm. So we know the positive effects that water has. Um, You know, even with our rock climbing, we come at that from um, a point of view where we discuss how breath can manage um, your panic. Um, you know, so they're yeah. more layered than just, uh, just an activity. An activity. Yeah. Actually, I, I must admit, I went and did an activity just after I got retired, actually, with another uh, entity. And I was really surprised because it was just go do the activity and go home. And I mm. went, oh, okay, that's not what I thought it was going to be. It was like, yeah, it was a cool thing to do. But I thought, oh, that's weird. Like there's a whole bunch of people there that obviously knew each other and used it as a day out. And yeah, yeah. I didn't know anyone, just went there. Did the thing and went home, went, yeah. no, no follow-up, no. no. I just went, huh, okay, yeah. That's, yeah. that's not what I expected. We want there to be a point. <laughs> there was no message to it. Like, Yeah, yeah. Was, we always have an intention. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
and research backed with our activities or the activities that we encourage yeah. uh, people to attend. Um, and we offer one-on-one support. So Alana will often go to um, the Connect Hubs in her yeah. way. I'll do the same in mine. Um, as we get busier, we're, we're having to separate, yeah, which yeah, is terrible because then we yeah. only operate half brain each. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we're no, singing, no singing duos. No, <laughs> no. But as we get larger, we hope that those that are well on the path to recovery might want to stand up and say, hey, I I can take this I'll on. Take I can yeah, organise okay. it for yeah. you. And that's what they're doing. Yeah. We've got Penrith being run by yeah. Living Experience members. We've got right. Port Macquarie, Coffs Harbour. You know, we can't get to those places. And that's our members who are there who are taking lead of that. Yeah, cool. Um, and so it's getting them involved as well, giving them that purpose. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's important. And, and uh, I think the benefit of doing something like that is you see the benefit that it gives someone else and that drives you to yeah yeah. yeah so yeah. just just out of uh, for the listeners uh benefit that might not know of it how would somebody at Coffs Harbour for instance that's not heard of emergency until today how do they actually find out about those activities the best way now is our app <laughs> so the app's only just gone live after yeah, what we've just come to agree is nearly a year's worth of work. Wow. Um, but the app now um, is probably the easiest place. We also know emergency service workers can have barriers in engaging in social media. Yep. Um, and so the app seemed to be the best way. We used to run off um, Facebook and our website. Yep. We had back-end members there and engagement. Um, but the app brings us all together. Um, and so that lists out all of our events, but it's also full of resources. So one of the things we probably haven't spoken about that emergency does, but we've touched on was an issue for all of us, is that limited cognitive ability, um, yeah. especially in the early stages of diagnosis. And you're often told when you ask a question, oh, the answers are in here and you're handed 40 pages <laughs> of documents and mm -hmm. And we've talked about the difficulties in reading, let alone also retaining that information. Yeah. So we create resources that are basic, um, you know, for people with limited capacity to understand, flow charts that explain the workers' compensation process. Yep. Um, so there's a lot of resources within the app. Uh, there's also uh, the opportunity to engage in that peer support. You know, Pia and I here are primarily to provide that. But what we get from each other... Um, you know, that 1,500 members interacting with each other, sharing their own experiences, asking for that support from yeah. their peers is really empowering. Um, so our events are all listed on there. Um, it's a, a secure place. We ask, I think, about 15 questions just yeah. to be able to get into the app and <laughs> see anything um, to ensure that it is being used by the right people for yeah, the right so purposes. Yeah, so you're sort of vetting people before they're allowed access Absolutely. to any... Yeah. any yeah. Sort of thing that could in interact them with someone else. Yeah. yeah. But we yeah. make sure that we cover the needs of everyone. So serving emergency service workers who maybe don't even identify yet that they have their own mental health concerns, yeah. they can go in there and get access to resources okay. um, that might just help them understand um, the overexposure to trauma and what it does to them. They can also book us in to go and do sessions at their workplace. Yeah, right. Um, it'll also allow for the members who are... Uh, moving towards medical retirement and beyond 
um, and what resources they need. Um, the events that we run mm. um, are also located within there. And then there's also space for um, service providers and treatment providers who support emergency service workers yep. and allowing them a platform to collaborate and network. You know, at the end of the day, we want to know that our members and all of us are adequately cared for mm. and that needs to be collaborative. That's not that single stream of care. Um, so it's about getting um, providers in the same place to be able to talk to each other, um, figure out what are people doing within this space, what do people need, what's different out mm. there. And I think it's important to note as well for um, people in our position or about to go through it is that emergency service or first responder trauma is very different to a single incident trauma. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's what we've worked really hard to network ourselves with those that actually understand the processes, the culture, everything surrounding that. Um, yeah, I think there's that's been an outcome of some of the big inquiries too, hasn't it? That there's just not a yeah. there's not that sort of database of appropriate mm. um, providers for those sort mm. of things that are, you know, there might be providers out there, but are they actually tailored to yeah. cater or, or, yeah, I suppose better engage with people from, from our sectors? Yeah, yeah, it's education that's needed for them in that yeah. particular area, that cultural awareness. We yeah. reference a lot that so they I need think, to be culturally aware. Yeah, I think in America or parts of America, there is a certification process that psychologists that can go and get endorsed to deal with first responders. Mm. Yeah, it's mm. like a – yeah, I'm pretty sure I've seen that somewhere. might have been Canada or America. Yeah, somewhere mm. they've actually got a yeah a program that they can get a yeah. – yeah, literally like an endorsement. To say, yeah, yeah, I'm good. a first responder accredited. Yeah, there are resources that we provide um, – people who service emergency service workers, so um, lawyers mm. and even to psychologists and social workers to be able to give them um, financial advisors. We literally give them um, handouts mm. and we offer them opportunity for education engagement yep. so they understand, well, what do the hierarchies and the structures of these emergency service workers, what do their um, you know, daily requirements look like? What are their internal pressures that they're facing? Yeah. You know, so they start to get that cultural awareness to be better um, positioned to be able to treat some of the things that are in there and understanding yeah, what impact the culture it has. It can be frustrated. Like you can, you can get frustrated really quickly, can't you? And then when mm. you when you just you think you've got to deal with someone that you've got to explain where you're coming from again, it's yes. like, oh, really? Like, yeah. Yeah, so I can yeah, yeah, that's a great sort of toolkit to have there. And and mm. so much of these really good findings I've, I've come across, I've just stumbled across them. Mm. I've been looking for something else and then going, "Wow, that looks really good or, you know, that maybe that's that person might be able to do it." And it's literally either googling it or you know, it's not through it's not through good planning. I've found a lot of yeah, um, yeah. what I've what I've found works, so. and we yeah. want our members to share that yeah, on the app. Great. That interaction with each other. I found this. I discovered this. Did anyone know about this? What was your experience mm. with this? That's what that power of that collective group is. Mm. That we're mm. all educating and guiding each other, mm. Um, mm. and it helps us all. It, it fulfills all of our need for um, you know service. Mm. Mm. So moving forward, where where is this going to go? <laughs> where, it's limitless. Yeah, it is limitless. But <laughs> it is. Have, you, have you got a, um, I suppose, a goal or um, yeah. anything, anything beyond where you're at right now that you can tell yeah, us about? Yeah, so 
We do have a working project that we would love to see our Connect van travel regionally uh, right. throughout New South Wales and ACT to be able to provide and set up those Connect hubs within those regional communities yep. and then also be able to take with us uh, resources. So, for example, we might be able to take a psychologist with us um, and open it up to those regional communities and stay there for a couple of days where they yeah, can come right. and talk to a psychologist. Um, That's that they, not connected to... <clears throat> That is totally place. independent. Yeah. So yeah. emergency is totally independent and confidential yeah. of any of the emergency service organisations. Yeah. Uh, we made a conscious decision very early on to remain impartial and independent yeah, right. um, because the trust of our members is really important to yeah. us. Yeah, we're corporately funded also at the moment. Uh, we do have um, applications in place with government and grants. Yep. Uh, it's a long process. Yeah. Um, with Alana and I, it's what you see is what you get. It's us too. We do have <laughs> we do have support, but um, we've got so much on our list that we do want to do. Yeah. Um, ideally, personally, for me, I would love to see a royal commission yeah. um, into emergency services, mental health. Um, that's personally something of mine that I would really love to see happen. Yeah. Um, I'm with you on that. Mm. Uh, some of the things that, you know, some of the conversations that we've had over the last probably 12 months with ministers' offices and, mm. uh, you know, regulators and other other sort of key key cogs um, mm. in, in the broader picture of it, um, it, it hasn't left me overwhelmingly uh, optimistic about it getting better anytime soon. Mm. And... There's so many issues across so many aspects of why we're all here today. Mm, mm. You know, that's enough. Mm. Yeah. And and the, the, the sad reality of it is, is obviously like last year, you get these, you know, terrible run of, you know, horrendous yes. outcomes. Yes. Mm. And, yeah. And, you know, that's, that's ultimately the worst case scenario outcome. But mm. um, that's the reality of it, not being done better. Mm -hmm. And... We can do it better, mm. I think. Um, it's just sad. It probably will take a Royal Commission or something. Well, I think similar. everyone just taking action, you mm. know. I think mm. sometimes there's, you know, an overindulgence in um, trying to figure out why instead of just doing stuff, yeah. you know. I feel like there's sometimes just not enough proactive action in these spaces that yeah. everyone's maybe – um, researching or risk managing, you know, instead of just trying to get out there and start to make a difference. Yeah. And, and I feel like that's what we're all trying to do. You know, we're all trying to play our part in what the future should look like by doing something today yeah, yeah. Um, and empowering mm. ourselves, I suppose, you know, not for waiting sure. for someone else to fix it. Yeah. You know, yeah. we'll fix our little bits that we can and that we've got control over. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the, the Connect Hubs regionally, I think we all forget that we find it hard in the city um, mm. to get the right support and yet they're so much more under-resourced out there and, you know, a big part of getting our Connect Hubs and our partners out into those regional areas, again, is to empower an entire community. Yep. You know, how can we better educate the psychologists and the psychiatrists out there give them the cultural awareness, talk to them about service-related trauma. So when we all leave and we leave with the city psychologist, you know, that they've still got that 
empowerment themselves to look after each other. Yeah. Um, mm. Which, you know, they, they don't need to just be reliant on the city slickers coming and going. Yeah. You know, we don't know. We don't have the living experience of what it's like to be an emergency service worker in regional or rural New South Wales yeah. or ACT. Um, you know, that's about empowering them to do something within their own community that makes sense to them. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, yeah, it's got to be the right context, doesn't yeah. it? So, yeah, it's you part of that message delivery. It's, mm. yeah, it's a tough, it's a City tough push. When you, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the it reality, though, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's about collaborating with, you know, other existing services. Yeah. So, for example, St. John of God, yeah. uh, Pro Patria in Wagga. Um, provides a great service that's now including emergency service workers. Yeah, right. um, who else yeah. do we? We partner with so many people because there is so many people affected. Yeah. And, and there's we, so many people doing amazing things amazing in this space. Things, yeah. And what we feel like hasn't maybe been done before is working together. We're trying to coordinate it all. Yeah. 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 Just so we're all working for that. We've all got the same purpose. Mm. We want to impact the people who are going through this in a positive way. We want to make a positive impact on the rest of their lives. And we can do a better job of that as a collective yeah, than absolutely. each of us can do on our own. Mm. Yeah. And if we can start to connect individuals, service providers, treatment providers, allied health providers, supporters, communities, we will get on top of this. We will see better results. But yeah. I just don't feel like before people have been willing to work together. Yeah. Um, and that's what we're trying to do with other not-for-profits, you know, within New South Wales, um, you know, across the country, um, there are organisations doing amazing things in this space and they've all got their little area of expertise. Mm. They've all got, they're not going to solve every problem for a person, but if they're a part of this community, we can all. Yeah, that, there'll, there'll be something that fits right for everybody. Yeah. 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 And we work one on one with people as well. So mm. it's very individual based, the service that we provide. So yeah. our phone runs hot every yeah. single day. <laughs> yeah, I don't doubt that. Every single day. Yes, yeah, I think that's probably contact. what makes you guys unique in that space, as I don't. Yeah. Like a lot of, yeah, that, that, I don't know where else that exists. Yeah. Because um, we know what it felt like when you were asking someone for help and you got yeah. put onto three different yeah. people and they With weren't no talking. Answers. Yeah, they yeah. weren't talking All to each other. Or for them to turn around and say, sorry, our funding doesn't yes. allow Cover us you. to Cover. do that yeah. thing. Yeah. It's like, yeah. wow. Yeah. So it's very, our response yeah. is very tailored to the individual, whether mm. it's someone that um, is having panic attacks prior to entering the station before their shift. Yeah, yeah. Or just talking that through, like, is this normal? Yeah. Um, or someone that is has gone off sick, the doctor says you're not to go back. Well, yeah. what happens now? Or five years down the track where they've had no intervention yeah. and they're still in the same spot. Well, what happens to that? What yeah. happens to them after that? Um, there's so many different aspects and we've aligned ourselves and collaborated with so many different partners that we're able to direct them in the area and we have the living experience to know exactly what point and what stage they need to connect with with the with our providers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah great. Well, it's great work that you're doing. 
Thank um, you. And thanks for your support for the walk too. Yes, um, yes, yes, we will be there. Yeah, it's yes. getting close. We're definitely there on the Wagga leg. I'm very yep. excited because that will not be swag accommodation. <laughs> <laughs> We've already booked in the accommodation. <laughs> no one mentioned swag. I'll be swag sick of it by then. I signed yeah. up. <laughs> Could you imagine if it's raining for a good chunk of oh, it too? Don't I'm throw that, that Look at the in. Weather. Don't like throw that in. Swag no. under a tarp. That's going to be Great. No, <laughs> very grateful to have met Vince um, in the very early stages yeah. of his um, plans for this walk. Um, mm. And when he asked for our help, um, when I met him that morning, I was like, hands down, yeah, 100%, yeah. whatever you need, uh, we're here to support you. So the initiative is just fabulous. Yeah, it's and, a great cause it's, and, and great initiative. and. Mm. It'll be a long way too, but anyway, yeah. Yes, we'll get yes, it's, yes. Well, the Wagga will do the... part of what makes the, it cool. Well, and it just shows, though, the power of the collective group. Yes. Yeah. You know, there was never going to be a situation of, you know, Vince doing this entire walk on his own. No. no you know, no. this was about the power of the collective group and what we can achieve together. Yeah. You know, something that maybe individually we couldn't all do, um, but when we do that together as one... Um, we'll achieve so much more yeah. and we definitely won't be doing it in a swag. Just <laughs> you keep saying that. <laughs> they make comfortable swags. Oh, yeah, no, sorry. Yeah, no. <laughs> okay. I'm out. Good place to leave it, I think. Uh, yeah, look, thanks very much for coming on. It's been really – it's been great to hear your individual stories and then the collective story of emergency and um, I appreciate you being open about your own, you know, I suppose – uh, path to where you're at now and what's coming in the future as well. It's it's really cool. So uh, just before we go, uh, how do people get in contact with Emergency if they haven't already? Uh, so we're on our website, uh, emergency.org.au. I'll put all the links in the show notes and the, um, yeah. Yes. Check the app stores. And the app store. Yeah, so the what's the actual app store yeah, so uh, it, app called? Yeah, so it's on um, both Apple and Android, uh -huh. and it's Emerge and the symbol and Emerge and C Connect. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, a link in the show notes. Yeah, I'll put that. a link in there for mm. sure. And yeah. thank you for easier. having us on. It's really great uh, to see you and your element here. <laughs> I don't know whether I'll, I'll never be my job. element. I don't think I'll ever be super comfortable, but it's a pretty cool thing to do. Yeah, but yeah. I think just like coming the full circle, yeah. like honestly, we're yeah. sitting here the first time you and I met, sitting yeah. across a table at an Emerge Connect yeah, yeah, that's event right. yeah. that we were trying to find, you know, where's your place in this and, yeah. you know, what does my journey look like? And the first, one of the first things you said to me was I've always been really interested yeah. in looking at doing my own podcast because I've never heard a voice like mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you you know, you didn't feel like the emergency service voice was represented in this space. Yeah, it's not. And it was yeah. similar to the veteran space, but it's still unique and we needed our own voice. And yeah, for sure. you're sitting here now and you've, you've done that. Yeah, getting those stories out there. Yeah, yeah it's really cool. Are. So yeah. it's amazing for us to be able to have sat the first time across yeah. from that table and now to be sitting across yeah. from yeah, that this table. that was the early concept stage wasn't yeah, it? yeah and you're doing it yeah, like it's, it's happening yeah. it's incredible so yeah, yeah well we yeah. feel really lucky to be able to be yeah. here with you and thanks for putting those sort of things on i mean like yeah if, if people are out there that are a bit lost you know it's a good mm. it's a good starting place to um you know just find your feet again i think mm. if if you are in that place and and there's so many other things that emergency do other than those mm. events but yeah 
thanks very much for all your effort that goes Thank into you. making those things happen because that's one thing I have learned is this stuff doesn't just happen. It's a yeah. lot of work behind yes. the scenes that nobody yeah. actually really comprehends, I don't think, that yeah. um, that actually goes into making these sort of good, uh, you know, good good initiatives happen mm. and, yeah, it takes a lot of work in the, in the background. So thanks all the for everything good you do. stuff t- takes hard work. Yeah. I think we've all learned that, yeah. that yeah. you know, to get to the good stuff, you actually have to have gone through and you continue to go through the difficult stuff, but yep. it just makes the the reward even more special and more significant. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Before we go, song. Have you got oh, a song for the oh, walk? Oh, gosh. Come on, you, you mentioned it. I know, but now I can't remember you did. what it was. You were singing um, into the microphone I, I before. Please don't um, act like you weren't. Oh, I remember now. You've got to cut all the banter out. You, I have it. to sing You've it. You've got to sing it. No. Say it and Matt, she does. I don't she's know what it's you called, can sing though. It she doesn't matter. It. Oh, oh, she's sweet but a psycho, a little bit psycho. At night she's screaming, oh, my, my, oh, she my, is my. Shazam will pick she that up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I totally will pick that up. I don't know what it's called. I don't even know who sings it. It was just the psycho part resonates with me for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. And uh, Pia? Oh, pump it. Pump there you go. <laughs> Shazam is not going to pick that up. <laughs> Did you get that on video? Not is that on video? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm joking with that one. That just came into my head for some reason. <laughs> it resonates with you and I know why. <laughs> Psycho pump it. That yeah. is exactly that is our art. brain. <laughs> yeah, right. <righto. laughs> And you two are in the car again after yeah. this. Oh my wow. god! Yeah, this is this is like us. This is yeah. This is what us. our day oh, looks like. It's yeah. fun. I know. That's it is cool. Fun. I, know. I wouldn't imagine doing it with anyone else. I love you. I know. Well, God, <laughs> but, but, we honest, but we honestly uh, don't say, do that to me. Like, I don't cope with that as either. An, as an aside, <laughs> we honestly say like where were we supposed to be? And you could not have told mm. us this in those first couple of years at but, uni. Yeah, or then even once we were diagnosed and our lives were falling apart and to think now where we are, I wouldn't actually change any part of it. Yeah, right. You know, what we get to do now and the way we get to do it and the purpose and the reward we get from doing this far far exceeds Mm. like 18 years in the New South Wales Police. Oh, definitely. Yeah. We get to do this yeah, and, yeah. you know, we've, we're we connecting, you know, um, and, and this isn't for this, but just that we've been able to connect with people on a much more authentic level. Yeah, I was going to say yes. it's more genuine, isn't yes. it? Yeah. Yes. yes. That yeah. we genuinely care, you know, it's, it's about. done without a mask on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's real and we understand it yeah. a lot yeah. more. We understand people a yeah. lot more. We understand ourselves a lot more. Mm. And we wouldn't give that up. I've no. found we've both found no. ourselves in these positions in the last two and a half years that we're like maybe this was where we were supposed to be. Yeah. You know, maybe Definitely it wasn't both. about. We are where we're meant to be. Yeah. 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 Can I just end on a story? Alana yeah. is normally the talker but I'm just going to tell a story <laughs> is that I, every Christmas I would meet my with my school girlfriends. We still yeah, yeah. have a group and we would have this diary every year of what our goals were for the coming year. Really? From a school group of friends? From a school group of friends. Yep. Every wow. Christmas we'd write this diary. And every time it came to my turn, I would say, first one, I need to find my purpose. Right. 18 years in the cops, sergeant, loved it to bits. But still within those 18 years, I was not fulfilled 
And it was only until we started the charity and that year, I was like, I've done it. I did it. Got nothing Cross to it say. off. There was nothing else. <laughs> How cool is that? Yes. That's a yes. great, that's a great, that must be a great feeling actually. Yeah. It is a really great feeling yeah. because now everyone else writes all theirs down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm like, Yours I've got nothing. Yeah. I am fulfilled and I'm happy and I'm at peace. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, the, the only story <laughs> add on that I could add to that is I went to a school reunion and I think I only recognised two people. Oh. And it was like I was at the wrong one. And uh, I'm sure if we had to fill a book out, I'd probably just write, I'd like to know who everyone here is. <laughs> Did you not wear name tags? No. Or have your old photos? I had people walking up to me and saying, hey, remember this and that? And I'm like, no, I don't know who you are. Yeah. I had a mate, one it's of my best mates injury. is on the side of me going, that's, you know, don't you remember? And I'm like, no. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> the memory, it's real. The yeah, issues around right. the memory. Yeah. yeah. I really yeah. bad. We better end it on that. Yep. Thank right you. On. Thanks for While having us. While I still us. remember your names. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again. Thanks. See ya. You've been listening to the Heart to Heart Foundation podcast. People on their own journey for the awareness of mental health in our first responders. Thanks for listening and please remember to support our foundation by going to the webpage at www.hearttoheartwalk.org. That's www.heart2heartwalk.org or just Google it. Edit those things out, but mm. um, as a chat, it's actually been really smooth, mm. which is good. Yeah. Smooth operator. There you <laughs> Did go. You get that? Did you get that? It's on record. <laughs> That's that is our brain. That is our yeah, brain. We have the sync. same. We have morphed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Holy yeah. Nora, you guys wow. need a break from each other. Uh, <laughs> we, I try all the time. <laughs> no, but we can't live without each other. Even uh, if we go true. 24 hours and there's been a reason why we've not spoken. And yeah, then the next like time weird. we're like, that was weird. Yeah. <laughs>